Welcome to Manager Tools. The bridge between feedback and coaching, part two. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. What do I do when a direct doesn't know how to make a change? How can I help a direct who needs more than feedback, but less than coaching? How can I give a simple guidance to directs without it becoming a coaching process? Well, if you want answers to these questions or more, keep listening. Last week, we started to get into steps two and three, which, of course, are the heart of the model, but we didn't uh, we didn't completely get there. So let's let's pick up back there again in steps two and three. Okay, steps two and three are the heart of the model. We tell the direct what they did, what their behavior was, and then describe the outcome of what they did. If what they did in step two was effective, we liked it, it was useful, it created better results, it was what we needed, it followed the process, then the outcome that you state in step three is positive. I'm happy, that helps us, saves money, improves profit, reduces waste, reduces cost, improves throughput, tightens variations, anything, okay? Um, If what they did wasn't effective, okay, step three says, hey, here's what happened that wasn't good, you know, decreases results, um, doesn't meet standards, uh, violates protocol, violates safety rules, puts people in danger, makes it harder for us to meet our goals, um, takes longer to do the next step, puts us behind relative to the project plan, whatever it might be. Steps two and three basically say cause and effect, stimulus and response, input and output, behavior and results. And if you think about those word pairs, input and output, cause and effect, stimulus and response, and then the next one, behavior and results. Don't forget that that set of pairs, because what we're basically saying is organizations are human behavior engines. Organizations use hiring and processes and system and guidance and performance communications to increase the amount of effective behavior and decrease the amount of ineffective behavior. At some point, we'll do a cast on the organizational tax that people pay, that you can't do anything you want in an organization. You have to spend some time feeding the organization's internal engine. And that's why bigger companies require you to pay a higher tax, and therefore they tend to grow more slowly. But if you're going to join a large organization, the ta- the benefit of joining an organization and magnifying your individual behavior into larger results is almost balanced, but not quite, um, by the tax you have to pay internally. So we're going to tell them what they did behaviorally, and then we're going to tell them what happened because of that, good or bad. And remember their behaviors, the words people say, how they say them, facial expressions, body language, and work product. And for those of you who want to geek out, work product is quality, quantity, accuracy, timeliness, uh, documentation, and in some cases, safety. Can you give me an example of what it sounds like, how you might deliver that to somebody? Yeah. So when you're ahead of schedule, it shows me how much I can trust you. When you're late with your deliverables, it slows my work down. When you fail to close the customer, it makes it harder for you, reach, for you to reach your goal this week. When you make that extra phone call to our customer, it helps them see we care about our business. When you agree to refund money to a customer, it shows them we're living our values. When you're over budget, it makes the goals we set harder to reach. So there's like five or six examples there, but that sounds pretty short. It doesn't sound like it's a much of a conversation. 
It's not, you know, um, all we're trying to do is point something out. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I said something in the previous thing, sooner and smaller, not later and larger, meaning you don't, I mean, again, horseman's middleman test. Look, look at your boss and look at your directs and ask yourself, what do you want from your boss? What you want from your boss is if you've made a mistake, it's okay for your boss to talk to you, but you want it to be brief and professional. You don't want to wait until it's too late and there's a pattern. And if we say we want to have a full discussion of the mistakes of our directs, and there are a lot of people who say that, but then we say we want positive feedback to just be, or positive performance communication to just be a pat on the back. Now, here's what happens. You can give positive feedback in 10 seconds, and it takes you two or three minutes to give negative feedback. And therefore, you're not going to give as much negative feedback. And because the direct is a little bit embarrassed and uncomfortable, even those who are most confident and secure, even those people still don't like two to three minutes worth of, I let my boss down or I didn't meet my standards or whatever else. Even if you do it with a positive tone, even if you do it focused on the future, people don't like it. If you don't have a standard way of addressing positive and negative, you send a message that one is better or different or more valuable or more hurtful than the other. And so what that means is, unless we're gonna pat everybody on the back for two or three minutes every time they do something good, we better have a short way of addressing negative feedback, negative situations. So yeah, and if I've built a relationship with with Mike, say Mike's my direct, and I deliver as if, hey, I'm over this, I'm not concerned about it at all, I'm just gonna mention it, I'm gonna suggest to you, in, in the same way that I might edit a document you sent, sent to me that's gonna go on to my boss, here's some stuff I like, smiley face, or you know, this is good, or I like this, versus a couple other areas, you need to recapitalize this and so on. If you're changing capitalization and commas and semicolons and spelling, you don't put three red exclamation marks in the margin and put a sad face on it. It's not like we're in fifth grade, right? You don't put angry eyebrow faces on the side of a, of a paper. And that's the way feedback is. So it's not, I don't have to write a paper in response to your paper to tell you what your errors were. I just point them out. That's all. It's fairly straightforward. If I want to send a strong message, there's several things I can do, but I'm going to talk about two dimensions, right? I can, I can talk louder and more angry. I can change tonality, <laughs> right? Or I can talk a long time about it. And if I want to send a message that this is like just absolutely critical, like death, we're going to talk about it a long, long time. And the whole point of the feedback model to talk about things, like you said earlier, when they're small, right? And making it short makes it, I don't know, respectful to person. Like, I respect you. You get it. You're smart. I'm just telling you, you did this. Here's the consequence. It was either good or bad. And then I'm going to trust you to, to fix it. And the longer conversation, it's like, yeah, you're stupid or you're not paying attention or I don't trust you. And so therefore, I'm just going to beat you over the head with it. Yep. All those poor choices are unprofessional. And when you engage in unprofessional things as a boss, you damage the trust and the relationship you have with your direct. And trust and respect and the relationship are the underlying foundation. For those of you who have rolled out the Trinity, you know that. So I should say as well, all of my examples use the construction of in step two, you start with when you. If somebody else had taught me this stuff and then I had learned it and I was teaching it to you, I would say, dude, whatever you do, here's my inside baseball tip. 
always start step two with when you don't tell a story, don't do anything. Just say when you, and then tell them what the behavior is. You, if you don't do that, you're going to end up adding more words. Somebody said the other day, the example I heard, uh, I was at Apple the other day and somebody said, they asked me about the feedback model, even they were talking about communication. And he said, uh, he said, here's the thing I've learned. When I'm nervous, I add more words. He says, I'm not proud of that, but I do it. He says, and one of my directs said, you know, it always takes you a lot longer to talk about my mistakes. And the boss said, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to be better. He says, it occurred to me, I was, I went through a drive through and I got a breakfast sandwich the other morning. And for some reason, they double wrapped it. And, you know, you expect some wrapping, you unwrap it, and then I have to unwrap it again. He said, it's like you're putting three wrappers on your, on your feedback. I mean, what matters is the sandwich. What matters is the feedback, right? Oh God, I just associated feedback with the sandwich technique. That's bad. But it doesn't help you anymore to have more wrapping around the sandwich. What you want is the sandwich. So less is better. Okay. So now step four. Yeah. Which is, you know, the kind of the heart of the conversation, future behavior. This is the thing that most managers leave out. And if you don't know that this is what you're after, then you're much more easily led into dead ends or long tangential conversations. The purpose of any feedback is to encourage effective behavior in the future. Even a manager who yells and say, don't you ever do that again. Even he or she, that word again is worth a million dollars in terms of the manager's intent. The manager is saying, I'm intending to scare you now about a past behavior of yours in order to get the right thing in the future. Now, look, as children, we learn that from our parents because of their authority over us, but that won't last very long in the professional and adult world. Fear now addressing the past in order to motivate positive behavior in the future is really not very likely. So if you go into the conversation saying, what do I want? I want the right behavior in the future. If I'm trying to encourage positive, effective behavior, how could I encourage positive and be effective and use fear or use yelling or use anger? It doesn't ring true. So if you're doing that, when it comes to positive feedback, it's as simple as thanks or keep it up or, you know, more of the same, please, or keep that up and, and uh, performance will continue to improve kind of thing. Or I love it, dude. You know, that's great. If it's negative feedback, it's again, it's just as simple. Can you work on that? Can you change that? Can you try to do that better? Right. And all you're looking for there is a yes, right? You're not asking in, yeah. in, the, in the basic feedback model. You're not looking for an explanation. You're not looking for them to describing how they're going to fix it. You're simply asking them, can they do it better? And all you want is yes. Yeah. The four steps, the core feedback model, which we're going to add to modify a little bit, depending upon certain situations here in this cast, that's it. We're going to ask for new behavior. That's all. And we want a commitment, a yes. And we don't want to try to tell them what to do. We just want to ask them to change because most of the time they can figure it out. And if they can figure it out, us helping them figure it out is reminiscent of the uh, Montessori school aphorism, which is the parent who continues to tie the shoes of the child after the child can do it is just in the way. And if you start solving the problems of your directs, you should take a pay cut 
And then the question is, why do we even have you there? Right? Yeah. And folks, if you haven't used the feedback model before, then put aside your, your doubts and try it. You'll find out that, you know, 80, 90% of the time, that's all it takes. It's all it takes. That's all it takes, right? 80 or 90% of the time. So it's a pretty good percentage. Yeah. Too many managers go into the conversation with some dread, with some regret, with some uncertainty. And so therefore, they preposition themselves mentally to expect difficulty, failure, stress, tension, and so on. If you go in expecting it to be easy and you know roughly what to say, you'll discover that there's no there there. All the drama just sort of drains out of it. For me, the key to this when you shared this model with me so, over a decade or and a half ago or so, what I really got out of it was this removed the fear from managers. This wasn't for the direct, right? The directs <laughs> we found, directs, they deal with this fine. The issue about feedback in most organization is directs don't get feedback or performance communications because the manager is afraid to give it. And once you use this model, you find out it's no big deal. It's easy. You're more likely to give feedback. Of course, that's a good thing. Yes, exactly. And look, guys, remember, the purpose of all of your performance communications with your directs is the encouragement of effective future behavior. There are very few true all statements, statements that include the word all when it comes to management, but this is one of them. Any conversation you have about performance references the past or relies on knowledge of the past, but again, can do nothing about the past. If the purpose of the discussion is the past, there's no reason to have it because you're talking about old news. And something else that's really important, I have this happen all the time, and I admit it, it happens more in Silicon Valley and in technical organizations than anywhere else I go. Managers say, well, the reason this model won't work is I have to do root cause analysis to find out why they did it. When people use that phrase, I'm going to think, okay, this is a developer, this is an engineer, and he thinks this person's behavioral problem should be resolved by a developer engineering approach to root cause analysis. And yet, when you think about the problems you have, I mean, I, somebody told me when I, a few years ago, said, yeah, everybody talks about root cause analysis, but when they get out of the car because they think they have a flat tire and they look at the tire and it's flat, they don't do a root cause analysis for 20 minutes. They change the tire. So you can talk all you want about root cause analysis, but there are plenty of things you don't apply root cause analysis to. And if you're doing a root cause analysis for your direct, you're solving their problem. You're telling them they can't do it by themselves. And what are they more than, they're, they're one level below you. You used to be them a couple of years ago. If you start doing root cause analysis every time you give negative feedback to one of your directs, you're basically patting them on the head and say, you're not capable of solving your own problems. I think it's hilarious, Mike. I, I hear this more, again, in technical, technological organizations. I don't have time to do this because I have to do root cause analysis. Well. <laughs> okay, so cut out the root cause analysis, and you'll discover this takes about one-tenth the time. Your directs can do their root cause analysis on their own, and suddenly you'll have time to do it. And look, human resources doesn't help. When they say managers should sit down with each direct when there's a problem and listen carefully to the direct's point of view, their concerns about the assignment, how they're feeling about their job, and then collaborate with them on changes both parties can make 
to help achieve success. That's just gobbledygook. It's almost like believing in crystals or something, um, changing your aura. I think part of the problem with that for me is that guidance, it implies that the conversation is about something big and something important, something yeah. like it's just a major deal. And if that's the only tool you have in your toolbox, that the only time we can talk to somebody using this guy, you know, exactly. the HR guidance is when it's big, it's too late. Yeah. We want to try to encourage people to do the right things in the future. Um, all of this, let's sit down and talk and collaborate and hear each other out and credence to viewpoints is basically a vulgar miscarriage of stuff. It's expensive and it's misguided. The direct viewpoint point of view in these conversations, when you ask them to change or whatever, give them negative feedback, is not equal to the manager's perception and judgment of the direct's behavior. It's not. The manager has more experience, more knowledge, and is frankly required by the organization to assess and analyze the direct's performance. And if every organization always had a tribunal every time a manager and a direct disagreed with their performance uh, critique or communication, that's all they do. We'd have justice in organizations, which is not why organizations exist. To sit down every time a direct makes a mistake in order to let them be heard is colossally expensive typically ends with the manager hearing the direct, but also standing by their assertion that the direct, you know, your direct needs to change, right? Do different stuff um, in order to get better results because the results aren't satisfactory. And the problem with that is under a regime like that, uh, the direct begins to feel that because his voice is worthy of being heard, the ideas he voices are as valuable as the manager's ideas and they're not. And what's funny about that is if you don't have time to do one-on-ones with each direct, this is the most common thing people say about, against one-on-ones, how would you possibly have time to sit down and listen to each direct for 15 to 20 minutes about every one of their mistakes? And you better hope for directs who make no mistakes, which is kind of funny. Listen, the reason why you don't want to listen to your direct to tell you why they did it is because we don't care why our directs did what they did because we generally don't care about the past because we can do nothing about it. Again, there's only one good reason to have a conversation about a mistake somebody made, to influence them in the future. Again, even if you yell, it's the only reason. The only purpose to talk to your directs about their performance is to encourage them in the future or to justify a decision you've made about pay or benefits. If they did well, we want more of the same, and if they didn't do well, we're going to ask for change. And basically, the model is built around, let's make it simple, let's make it elegant, let's make it so you can't mess it up. I mean, the manager tools feedback model, in part, includes a bow to pokey oak. The idea that we should design things so it can't be done wrong. No, not those little animals, not talking about cartoons. Not, not Pokemon, dude. Oh, okay. Pokey oak, <laughs> right? You cannot put the round peg into the square hole because the square hole is specifically smaller than the round peg. It's built that way. Pokey oak is a manufacturing technique, designing things so that they naturally work together and, and they will not work if they're not meant to work together. That's why the model is built the way it is and why it's been refined, who knows, umpteen times over the last 20 years. Next then is, okay, we're gonna ask people um, we've asked people for a commitment to change, right? That's step four. And in step four of the model, 
Negative feedback says, hey, can you do that better? Can you work on that? You'll note, we don't tell our directs what to do next time. We don't correct them by describing the right way. And important point that I think a lot of people struggle with, with the model intellectually is, and it's an easy thing to miss, asking for the new behavior versus telling them. Many managers hear the need for asking and immediately assume they have impersonally approved the model right then and there by committing to not asking the direct for new behavior, but rather telling them what to do. And that way you eliminate the possibility that the direct changes their behavior, but to something we didn't want. So the manager says, oh, I don't want to ask because that's a there's a risk. The direct get it wrong. Exactly. And so, so then they say, I'm going to tell the direct what to do the right way, the way I did it, the way I know works because I did it this way when I was in their position because I did so well that I got promoted to the position where I could teach others the right way when they were wrong. <laughs> Man, you could say it and it sounds so judgmental that way. But here's the thing, guys. The approach of telling people what to do versus asking them when we're talking about small mistakes and errors is efficient, but in the long run, it's ineffective. Yeah, you'll get compliance. In fact, when you tell them do it this way, that's role power. And when you use role power, you get compliance energy back from the direct. They will comply. Okay, if that's the way the boss wants it done, that's fine. Worst case, they probably won't do it the same way wrong the next time. But bad things start to happen when we insist on people complying to the right way, the way we tell them. And the moment we say, you did this this way, that's not good, do it this way, bad things start to happen. First, directs who are told a way to do something don't learn to solve their own problems. And there's really two parts of this. They don't learn to think about what they did they don't run their own root cause analysis without our input. They don't learn to test hypotheses, to think things through, to examine unintended consequences, to try and fail the first couple of times through tests versus actually delivering using a new way. We're not against root cause analysis of manager tools. We love root cause analysis. But if we're always doing it with our directs, our directs don't learn how. They don't learn how to do it for themselves. And they won't be able to do so when they're the next generation of managers. And so we will be the last of a dying breed and the next group will either stumble into the right way randomly or they'll just be really bad at their jobs because they won't have time to do it. The second thing is the direct isn't committed to our way of doing things. When we tell them do it X way and they didn't think about it, they didn't come up with it, that's not their way. And so the direct may not understand or may not try hard enough, and then blaming our solution for the outcome that wasn't effective rather than them implementing our solution effectively. In other words, it's his solution. If something goes wrong, he's the one that got it wrong rather than I must have implemented his guidance wrong. That's right. Like, like an airline strike where the mechanics do it <laughs> exactly as laid out in the, the manuals even though they know it's not going to work, right? Yeah. And finally, we actually have to spend time to solve the direct problems. And as many managers I talk to who say they don't have enough time, why do they? Why does anyone think they'd have enough time to solve other people's problems, let alone just their own? 
It takes longer to tell directs what to do when they make a mistake in all but the most simplest of situations. It takes longer to tell them what to do than it does to simply ask them to work on getting better next time. Because I can say, hey, can you do that better? Yeah, done. I don't have to say, so here's what you need to do next time, okay? And look, managerial economics 101 tells us that that's inefficient and expensive. When a manager and a direct can both accomplish something, the direct must do it for no other reason than effective resource husbandry. The direct is cheaper labor. Don't solve their problems for them. Let them try to do it on their own, even if it takes two or three times. They'll go through a valuable learning curve and they won't forget the lesson. Yep. There, folks, is the feedback model. That's the basic feedback model. Next uh, episode, we're going to talk about some variations that even for those of you who have been using the feedback model for years, you'll find very, very interesting. Thanks, dude. Thanks, partner. All right, bye. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.